everyone. Today's episode is a great one, but it does speak about sexual harassment and sexual assault. So just a quick trigger warning here. But other than that, enjoy. Girl boss vibes only in this episode of It's yes. A Lot. Uh, I'm here with Alicia Aiken Rad- Radburn. Wow, what the fuck? Why couldn't I say that? How are you, babes? I am so great. I'm so excited that I finally managed to make my way onto It's A Lot. I know, and finally talked to each other. I mean, we were ships in the night on Bachelor in Paradise, and you were the one person that I wanted to actually meet on BIP. But you were selfish enough to not come in the first group of girls, so I didn't get to meet you. And I was, I hated everyone on that island. Uh, So, (laughs) and would sit on the swing and look out into the ocean and refuse to talk to anyone during hot parties. Um, You didn't like the experience. It's so interesting to me because, like, whenever anyone asks me Bachelor or Bachelor in Paradise, to me, I'm like, the format of Bachelor in Paradise is just eons better than The Bachelor. I think my issue is I don't particularly like speaking to men. Yeah. And those girls. (laughs) And that is kind of the. (laughs) And I find them quite boring. Glenn was the only nice one. So she did well getting Glenn because Glenn was the only nice normal Ish, well, he's normal, but like, do you know what I mean? Like, if if we have like normal, and then we have like really just not my vibe, then like Glenn yeah. was the most normal-ish, and you know, and the girls, as we saw in the cabanas, bullying me, so it wasn't very fun, you know. I had me. to re-educate myself on the Glenn thing, though. Glenn wouldn't usually be the guy that I'm like, oh yeah, like rip my clothes off. Okay, but it's not what we're here for. But I do want to ask you about this now. They're talking about it. <laughs> What do you mean by that? Oh, I just mean like I've always gone for the entertainer. I've always gone for the guy who's like, you know. Like center of attention. Yeah, exactly. And I think Glenn really threw me off because he didn't feel like his voice needed to be the loudest in the room. Weird. Not a narcissist. That's so weird. Can't relate. But even for myself, I think it made me reflect on how I conduct myself in group situations as well. He's a listener. And I was like... Wow. And so I ha- I really had to take a few days there where I was like, you know what, maybe this is all the messaging that I've been receiving about not going for your usual type. Yeah. Maybe I should give this a go. And it's worked and out well. It Perfectly. has. Yeah. I love that for you. So tips, everyone. Me. You've inspired me because usually, who, what's, what would you say my type is, Elise? Sociopath. Narcissist. I'm not saying anything. I want to be Switzerland in this. She's agreeing. Um, you know, and then maybe I should just date a nice corporate man. I mean, I'm not or that into it. Try a tradie. I just don't think tradies are into me. I can't imagine. You know what I mean? I can't imagine. Like, I someone asked me the other day. I did a some interview for the Telegraph on like the hottest NRL players or some bullshit. <laughs> it was fun. And I, I I was talking to the journalist afterwards because we're friends and he was like, oh, did you get any DMs from the NRL players? And I was like, do you think NRL players are into my staunch, staunch feminist profile? I was like, I'm not sure that my thing, my, I'm not like honey to the flies that are the NRL players, you know? Like I would say I'm more vinegar um, with my feminist tattoo. I can't imagine the boysies on the weekend enjoying their, you know, feminist girlfriend coming and tell them they're all sexist. Um, Maybe they should try something new as well. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't let them. I'd probably block them <laughs> if they tried to DM me, to be quite frank. AFL players, though, different breed. If you're listening... 
there are a few out there. Anyway, that's all we're doing. We don't need to talk about Ashwin Paradise at all. It's the least interesting thing about you. So you have a new podcast and it's called In the House and in the Senate. Yes, In the House and in the Senate. It's going gangbusters. Yes. Um, and I'm really excited about it. For me, it's just about a DM here and there of a particularly a young woman who's listened to the episode. I got this one DM of a girl who was like, look, I was taking my sort of first steps into the political world and I got really disillusioned. And listening to your first episode reminded me of why I wanted to pursue that path in the first place. And I think I'm going to give it another go. So that's what it is for me. And yeah, I yeah. mean, it is it is really hard going into, I mean, all the DMs that I've seen and even working in a male-dominated industry at all, let alone Australian government, which is, you know, the most extreme version of that. I think from what I've understood about the government, particularly in the past year, all of the stuff that's become uncovered that has been right in our faces. And I think it is hard when you go into it and you think, well, why, why the fuck would I want to be the one that has to deal yes. with this shit? Like, you're like, yes, someone has to do it and it's very noble. And yes, be like, do I have to be the vanguard? Like, why would I ruin my mental health, my self-esteem, have an awfully hard career pushing against, pushing uphill basically, so that I can be the first one? Like, I could just go and, you know, work in PR and earn double the money and have a fun time. You know what I mean? Like, and genuinely enjoy every day. But obviously it's very important to have women in parliament. So can you give me a rundown of what the podcast actually is about for everyone listening? And then we'll talk about your career in (laughs) politics. So the podcast, we're speaking to women in Australian politics. We're speaking to parliamentarians. We're speaking to political staffers. And we're speaking to people who are sort of politics adjacent. So we've just released an episode with Sally McManus, who's the leader of the Australian Council of Trade Unions. Her episode is particularly amazing. We go into why we do this at all, why we advocate, why we push for change. And it's because we are trying to change the lives of everyday people and the fact of the matter is that laws and legislation is one of the main vehicles that (laughs) dictates how someone moves through this world. Mm -hmm. So the conversations are great. As I've gone through the process, I've realised that really what I want to get into more and what I think are the really special episodes are the episodes with the political staffers. I think that you know, due to the fact that they are elected representatives with a platform, we do tend to hear from parliamentarians quite a lot. Mm -hmm. And it's the episodes with staffers that I think are really important. One of the episodes coming up is with Georgia Tree, who's a current Labor staffer to the Shadow Minister for Trade and Resources. And she speaks a lot about her own personal experience and what she thinks needs to change in Parliament House. Mm -hmm. And I hope that if I end up doing a second season... I hope to include more of those voices. It's just Mm -hmm. two episodes amongst the eight. And I think I've sort of, yeah, if I could do it, go back and do it all again, I would concentrate on the staffers themselves because I think that those are the people who are often the ones without voices. Yeah. So a staffer, what does one do? What, how do you oh. become a staffer? Like, <laughs> I I imagine it's kind of like how when you go to hospital and the nurses take care of you more than the doctors. Is that what it's like for the government? Oh, my like gosh. What, you know what, what I mean? an analogy. That is absolutely – I remember walking in, and this is, like, thanks to having a fabulous boss as well, but I remember when I got my, one of my first staffing jobs, and to break it down, staffing can be 
any number of things. You can work in an electorate office, which is what we would see, you know, when you're in your local area and you see, let's say, I'm trying to think of my local member is a guy called Jeff Baker. He has an office in where we live, South Perth, and within the electorate office, they deal with what's called constituent inquiries, very Mm -hmm. sexy. That's just people in their local area who are having trouble with something most of the time. That can be anything from Centrelink. Sometimes people will come with like, you know, some trees falling over in their backyard and they don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. Um, It could be. Mm -hmm. And they might be redirected to local local council. My nipples are so Um, hard, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Immigration issues. So that's your electorate officer Um, and there's like a lot of different functions in that office. And then if you're a minister, you have a ministerial office and there's a whole variety of functions within that. So you could have a policy advisor, a media advisor, a press secretary, which is just a fancy word for a senior media advisor. And And they're all staffers. And the collective term, as we have, like, what is it, like a murder of crows? A staff is the collective noun for all of these roles. Interesting. So what was your role when you worked for Labor? Oh, mine was a weird one. I've had a variety of roles over the years, but I think probably the one that I point to most, particularly in the context of this podcast, because it was in federal parliament, was I was what's called an advancer for Bill Shorten. So while Bill Shorten was the opposition leader, the role of an advancer is to, there is this classic example of when Tony Abbott was the prime minister, Mm. a photographer in the press gallery got this amazing shot of him. He was walking around a mall Mm. and they got an amazing photo of him in front of the reject shop. And they just cropped it so it just said the reject above his head and it was on the front page of the Daily Telegraph the next day. Iconic. And so, (laughs) Mm, and you know, other examples are like, they always get kind of cringe and hilarious. Like Kevin Rudd was visiting a school and very unfortunately I think he was like in a... Oh, no. (laughs) I mean, it was like heaven with the kids. (laughs) You're also technically like a general rule of being an advancer is advising your parliamentarian to not eat food uh, just because it's like not, you know, that, you know, that photo of Bill Shorten hoeing into a sausage roll on election day and he's like eating it sidewards. I'll DM you. Don't worry. (laughs) Um, But Kevin Rudd was at this school and he was talking to the year fives and he's like sort of squatted down next to their chairs to have a chat with them and the display behind him is like they're learning about the holocaust and it's just like hitler everywhere that is so an advancer would be like let's move the let's move the yes. camera or you so, go sit it's got a different classroom or something exactly you're kind so, of like the minder you're in bachelor terms literally. you're the minder yeah, so my job was I would travel around Australia. It could be anything from a like fucking oil rig to a classroom or a hospital. And I would walk around, I'd meet the stakeholders, whether that's like the director of the hospital, and they would run me through how they were going to do the event. I would meet the people that Bill was going to speak to. Mm-hmm. Often in a school, it was just a little check that little Freddie wasn't going to tell Bill Shorten that his dad's going to vote for Malcolm Turnbull. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> so so take over sort of... the kids' mouths and stuff. 
Yeah. <laughs> it was that just making little choices. Yeah. Choices, we'll call it, to not go talk to Freddie and we'll go talk to little Clarice, whose mum's a unionist instead. Right, right. We're like, Clarice, your mum. What does your mum think of the election, Clarice? Yeah. Freddie's like, my dad's voting for Malcolm Turnbull. He says, fuck you. Don't yeah, increase so that was- my taxes. Let's cut Centrelink. You're like, you're four. Like, how are you? <laughs> So that was my role and I really enjoyed it. And since then, I'd gone into a variety of different spaces. I've been everything from like a media advisor to I was the director of events and fundraising. That was my last gig Mm. at New South Wales Labor before I fell in love and I moved to Perth. Oh my God, she fell in love and moved to Perth. Wow. A tale as old as time. Who hasn't fallen in love and moved to Perth? Anyway. Um, I highly recommend it. <laughs> babe, I tried, but he cheated on me. All right. So, um, <laughs> tragic. Okay. So, how do you even get into being a being a staffer? Like, do you have a degree? You have to get a degree in poll? Like, what's the deals? How do you get um, in there? Because I'm sure a lot of people listening would have considered it, but not really known. It's not very clear yes. path, you know. Yeah. Very diverse ways of entry, I guess. Mm. Um, I'd say that there are two major ways and I would distinguish them by like you're either getting involved in the political party itself or you end up in one of these roles by virtue of your trade. So let's say you you have gone and studied journalism and maybe you've like worked at local papers or you've worked your way up as a journalist. Often we'll see, for instance, media advisor roles or press secretary roles, we'll see people who have worked at major newspapers then shift and become a media advisor because they have those skills of talking to the media. Right. So you can do it by trade. Um, But they may not be necessarily a Labor voter or a Labor supporter. They just do it because they're like, I'm advising you from my knowledge in general about how to deal with this. Not like, but you also could come from like, yes, Scott Morrison, young liberal, you know, like I hate myself. Like I'm going to go work for Scott Morrison or something like that. You could do that. Boyfriend's working for Scott Morrison. Yeah, so exactly, <laughs> it's a form of self harm. It sounds. Um. <laughs> yeah, so you can do the you can do the trade route, and you know, from the policy side of stuff, that would be like you know, let's say you've got a health background, you did a medical degree, and now mm. you're working for the minister for health. The other right, way, okay. as you say, is the rah rah route, which mm. usually means that someone signed up at university, they've they've walked through their orientation week, and they've been like, damn, like you know, what's going to make me the coolest kid on campus young joining young labor <laughs> <laughs> super fucking cool so and i should add here that that was, that was my you. route <laughs> Oh, my God, of course it fucking was. I mean, I think yeah. Young Labor's a bit better than Young Liberals, babe, but if you were Young, young Liberals, I mean, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Yes. Um, okay, so when you become a staffer, what did you expect going in and what was the difference between your expectations? I guess we're talking about your the role you speak about the most. What were the expectations versus reality, I guess, particularly being a woman in those roles? Look, I think that... Overarchingly, I've had a pretty good experience through my political life with, I guess, little, I wouldn't even know how to describe it, bumps along the way. Mm. Um, But the overarching thing that I would say that for me has been really crushing and something that I've had to get used to as I've navigated as a woman who wants to be involved in the political space is that you know, I I hear it on 30 Rock. It's like this 
sorry, this is such a <laughs> tangent, but Liz Lemon, the main character in 30 Rock, is always talking about like wanting to have it all, which I think as women, you know, it's a very natural thing that we want to have it all. Yeah. And I find it very hard. And I think it would parallel with, you know, your experience moving from reality TV into the media. Mm. I found it more difficult than I expected to be a human being in politics. And I think that that travels from the very top to the bottom. I just think that the way that our political system is set up, it's so funny. We, we, we are so often encouraged to be yourself. That's how you'll reach your goals. Yeah. And I think that, unfortunately, politics really pushes people to fit into a particular box. Yeah, it's like you can have certain goals and have certain moral standards and go in there thinking you're going to change the world, but then perhaps you have to play a game of chess almost to yes. kind of and have some negotiation with your own moral compass in saying what's more important to me x or y and what yep. will i kind of give some leniency to to be able to reach an overall better goal is that kind of what how it feels absolutely and even you know even being out of politics and being sort of like more politics adjacent now in the corporate sector i'm still making those decisions every day i'm still deciding i still will have an email come in for Instagram or content creation and be like, mm, I would really like to do this. Like mm. Alicia would really love to do this, but I probably can't do this. Um, what do any um, spawn con? Oh, no, I can I can do sponsored content, but mm. I just think that the choices and not just limited to sponsored content, but the choices that we make every day in the way we dress, yeah. in the way that we carry out a conversation, in who we are connected with in this world, who we decide to become like, you know, maybe we will randomly spark up a friendship with somebody mm. and it will take away, it will be political, it will... Yeah. have some sort of impact on your day-to-day -day life and your work. And mm. I find that really challenging because there is the overwhelming part of me wants to be able to be the person to go on Bachelor in Paradise and run for pre-selection. Yeah. And I think that women should be able to do that, but... Do you feel like it, it taints? Is, do you feel like it taints women more than it would taint a man, or do you think it's kind of the same? Oh, same. I, I guess Bachelor in Paradise is a pretty broad brush, isn't it? I think in general, people in politics want people to act a particular way mm. and play the game a particular way. I think about that in the context of like, <laughs> there's this guy on Survivor at the moment called George, mm. and he's been branded as like Labor's faceless man. And, you know, even people in Labor circles, like it just gets so bitchy of people being like, he worked in an electorate office. He's like not important in the Labor Party. Oh. And I just find that like, <laughs> I find that so, That's I find so that funny. so awful. And I kind of think that it fits into this larger narrative narrative that we see in politics and this is getting to like slightly the heavier side of stuff mm. but what we've seen to come to light this year about sort of pervasive bullying mm. yeah. sexual harassment sexual assault generally unsavory behavior in yeah. the halls of what are meant to be like the gold standard for our society yeah right yeah i guess the thing is though like a reality tv star would never become like the leader of a country right Anyway, so fuck you, Trump. Thank God that's over. Um, well, speaking of that, the Kate Jenkins review. Yes. Can you explain that and then talk about these more heavier points you were 
alluding to because I'm actually yeah. very interested in this. Yeah, so basically, you know, a lot of your listeners would have seen these like constant reports on the news this year. One of the biggest ones being Brittany Higgins going public with her story about what happened to her in Parliament House and the Kate Jenkins Review, which is, you know, formerly known as the Independent Review into Commonwealth Parliamentary Workplaces, that's been like the major mechanism from the government to sort of respond to these, it's an avalanche of stories. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so the Jenkins Review is closing shortly. I think it's been extended and that has enabled staffers who are generally voiceless and that's another thing to go into entirely like there are jokes in political offices that if you as a staffer are seen on screen during a news report Mm -hmm. you have to buy the whole office a case of beer right okay (laughs) because you're meant to be like seen not heard right um but that can be very disempowering particularly when you're you know you're a what what i've heard from my friends who are still in political offices and federal parliament is like, you know, all this shit comes to light this year. Mm. Brittany Higgins goes public and not even an email was sent. Like in any other workplace, if if you were on a work site and someone died, you'd bring in the union, you'd bring in counsellors and yet you have all these young female staffers going into Parliament House the next day not even an email, not even, not even a touch base. There was a, there was someone in the ladies' toilets at my corporate job that used to wee on the seat. Many emails. <laughs> Many emails about that. What yes. about what about poor Brittany exactly. Higgins? Are you fucking joking? I feel like there have been staff emails about the, the dirty teacups in the, exactly. in the office, right, uh, in the kitchen. But there's none about and one of the biggest news stories of the year that's surrounding yeah. politics. What the fuck? Yeah, so what the Jenkins Review has enabled, and, you know, I'm a big fangirl, for lack of a better word. Like, I'm really, really happy that this has happened because what this has enabled is female staffers to set up a Zoom interview, an in-person interview, or they can you can also do a written submission. And you mm-hmm. can just blanket, you know, no, no real parameters. It's generally related to workplace culture, bullying, sexual assault, sexual harassment. Mm-hmm. But you can just share your experiences as a woman in parliament. And I think that that has been what so many women have been so longing for. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in an upcoming episode of In the House and in the Senate, I speak to my friend who is working in Parliament House at the moment, who's made a written submission. Mm-hmm. Um, and I spoke to the commissioners myself over Zoom. I'd basically been just sitting around for four months, just in my own emotions, thinking... This is fucked. I think there's so much pressure on women to disclose really traumatic experiences Mm -hmm. for themselves in order to feel like, I guess I felt, oh, fuck, like maybe I should, you know, I've got a public profile. Maybe I should be speaking out more Mm. about what I know and what I've experienced in Parliament House Mm -hmm. because, you know, to keep the momentum going, to keep the pressure on the government Mm -hmm. to make change. But that's really kind of fucking shit, to be honest. Yeah, that's up to you putting us, re-traumatising yourself or putting yourself out there and also opening yourself up to trolling and people who don't believe you and those exactly naysayers so that something is done when something should just be fucking done. 
Yes, like that's absolutely. Shit. The situation is like, yeah. well, send an email around, please. Like, sort the yeah. shit out yourself. It's obviously happening. Why do women ha- and victims have to re-traumatize themselves over and over again for anything to be done? Exactly. So what the experience gave me was just an opportunity. It was literally like a, it was 7am in Perth and I went into the spare room, set up my laptop, got on a Zoom meeting with these commissioners and I was just able to share a few instances that I guess had been sort of sitting heavy on my heart. And I was just hoping that by being able to speak to the review I was then adding my voice. Like, I mm-hmm. know there are so many fucking stories out there. I know that the volume do, is just so, immense. So, interrupt. so do do the staffers all share stories? Like, all the are all the female staffers kind of close and share stories about this stuff or is it hush-hush even between the staffers? No. Well, my experience at least has been that has been the support network mm-hmm. because there wasn't – so another thing that came out of – Brittany being so brave was they have now established a dedicated helpline specifically for parliamentary staffers to call around sexual assault, sexual harassment. That's good. And that's something that while I was working in federal parliament, I actually sent Brittany a message on Twitter saying, thank you so much for your advocacy Mm. and for what you were doing because... I needed this when mm-hmm. I worked at Parliament. And sometimes it's not really a radical change that is necessary. A lot of the time it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But for me, I just needed someone to speak to. Mm-hmm. And, and to feel heard. Yeah. Yeah. And to feel and like you didn't have to publicly talk about it as well. I guess that's an avenue then to have a private interaction where you're able to report it and feel like you are making that difference without publicly coming out and feeding yourselves to the wolves, really. Definitely. And so I hope that when the review reports, I think it's reporting in like November, Mm -hmm. I hope what it will demonstrate to the government is what we already know sort of informally behind the scenes because, you know, we're having these conversations over Facebook. We're going out for dumplings with other female Mm. staffers and we're chatting through what was like some fuck thing that happened to us. And I'm hoping that the review represents just the immense volume they've already had something like 220 interviews i'm hoping that it just represents the immense amount of harm that can be done in this place Mm -hmm. and that ranges from everything from you know smaller cultural stuff i guess though it is a really big problem like people in my offices in parliament there was a policy advisor she was a woman And she was being paid on the same band as an admin. And that's like, you know, all the other policy advisors are on like, I don't know what the exact band is, but it's like you're on serious amounts of money. And it just didn't, it was like nonsensical to me. So how how did that come to light for her or did she did she know this was kind of the cost of being a woman in politics like did, was she did she know that she was on that band or yeah she knew and so the she way it changed was her having conversations and she shouldn't have been she's a policy advisor she's her, a- just like everybody else and the well- kicker is the fucking <laughs> kicker is she was the policy advisor on women's issues <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so can you tell me some more examples of things that are being reported in? So that is that kind of one of the things that is being spoken about, one would hope? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess, <laughs> you know, not to say that it's like on one end of the spectrum, but 
you know, other examples of that would be one thing that's a big issue I saw particularly in federal politics and in my office at the time was that the bulk of the senior staff in the office were all men. Mm -hmm. I think you'd have like maybe one, two on those. I mean, if anyone is sort of familiar with public service bans or you've basically got these income bans that range from, you know, the very highest sort of chief of staff, Mm -hmm. senior policy advisors, principal policy advisors, Mm -hmm. all the way down to sort of like reception admin responsibilities and all the bulk of the men are up mm-hmm. on these top bands and then you've got all women placed in admin roles. And I think that that's something that, you know, what I would want to see come out of the review is I would want to see quotas for women, mm-hmm. female senior senior staff. I would want to see, and, you know, a lot of people are feel find quotas difficult, but, you know, if not quotas, I would like to see transparent reporting mm-hmm. of the makeup of these officers. And also maybe having some sort of comprehensive, I don't know how you would do this, but some reporting on why you've chosen that person by quote-unquote merit over yes. another person. Having some explicit explanation, not just, you know, perhaps I know their uncle and his, you know, yeah. his uncle's my dentist and I know the family, I know they're good people. Because I think that's, I think we were talking about is reflected in most offices around Australia. And I think perhaps that people can relate to this so much of all of the men being up the top and getting promoted because they're better for the job. But it's actually just whether it's nepotism or whether it's someone seeing themselves and the person they're promoting, a bit of narcissism. Exactly. It's either one of those things. And also I can imagine people of colour in those roles, the experience of women tenfold, right? Yeah, it just reflects everything that's going on outside in society as well. Like, this isn't unique to politics. It's not in a vacuum. It's like, wow, this is wild that all the women are doing all the admin. I mean, I remember I worked, so I worked in commercial real estate before this, and the dude who was 19, who was in uni, who wasn't very good at uni, um, (laughs) he was just called an analyst, and I was an analyst slash admin, but I had a degree. So I was doing two jobs for less money. Not than him, but other analysts. So I was basically admin. But we, we also, we had a team admin. So Plus, I was. I, so we have an admin. I'm not the admin. I have a degree yeah. in property, but I'm the analyst slash admin, and I had to set up morning teas and everything. Yes, literally. I was just gonna say. Plus, I bet you were responsible for the birthday cakes. And I, yeah, yeah. And I got, I, I got to the end of my tether when I graduated. I was like, I'm not setting up one more fucking morning tea for you, yes. fucks. Like they would all go. Like I would have to go and set up the Christmas parties. So there's all the admin. I was the only woman who wasn't admin in the office, and I would still have to go. And I got to the point where I was like. I would just sit at my desk and be like, I'm not fucking going. But that thing of just an assumption because you're a woman, you are admin. When have you ever heard, wow, I'm getting angry. When have you ever heard of a man entering into a fucking corporate role and saying, I'll do admin for a few years to get my foot in the door? I know. It's Never. unbelievable. They go straight into, in my case, being real estate agents or in your case being, I don't know what, like, I don't know what you do in politics, but like something. Oh, yeah, no, you're completely right. Like, I even think that, well, the thing that frustrates me the fucking most at the moment is like you see these guys who have worked in politics for ages and then they move into the private sector and they've just had a very sort of like average role in politics. Mm. And then all of a sudden, because they've worked in a political office, their like diagonal line shoots up in the private sector and all of a sudden they're like, in some crazy like director role or something <laughs> like that. And if you're a woman leaving politics, it's like, okay, back to the start for you. Really? 
Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. Is that what's I, I mean, I, you know, like anything that there's there's exceptions to the rule, of course. but I just really find that when a woman leaves politics, it's it's a much more of a hefty task to get yourself back where mm. you deserve to be. Mm. Than a man. Yeah, I think those office dynamics are really, really fucking toxic and people don't see them as such because it is the norm. That's the one thing. Yeah. Why the fuck are all the women the admin? Why are we all that? Why? Why? For what reason? Like, like, like I said, I've never heard of a man getting his foot in the door by doing four years of reception to be able to get into mm-hmm. an industry. Have you, Elise, ever heard of a man doing that? I've literally not once. I know one man who has worked in reception, but... To get his foot in the door into the acting management, but oh, yeah. he is also a gay man. Yes, so, and they, they do it to gay men as well. Rules they are different. Do it. <laughs> but no, but no, but but they honestly in society, if, again, society, but also in my experience, knowing commercial real estate specifically, it's all yeah. women, and then they put gay men in there because they think they need to prove themselves before they become anything more. And it's like, well, prove that I can bind this document, despite the fact that I have a degree and you do not. In this specific area. Anyway, this is more me getting all aggressive about my own previous job that I haven't worked in for two years, but I still get angry because I know people are still working in it. It fucking pisses me off. Yeah, so you've got all of these, like, you've got that office dynamics that you know are not unique to Parliament House. And then you've got, I'm really searching for a word over the last few months, but what I would call just general sort of microaggressions Mm -hmm. in the workplace. So for me, what that looked like was in one of my very first jobs in politics, I would have been... 21, 22, this was a state parliamentary role and the way that state parliament is set up is you've got an office and your parliamentarian's in the office and you basically just have a little section when you walk in the door the Mm. first person you see is like whoever their staffer is and they'll just have one staffer. Mm. And so I was sitting at that desk, my parliamentarian was out and another parliamentarian who was walking down the corridor, I think my door must have been ajar or something like mm. that, and he pushed it open for a chat and he told me he's standing over me at my desk and I'd been to, like, a student political conference on the weekend because I'm fucking cool. That sounds lit, uh, babe. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, I missed on COVID times. God. <laughs> um, and I had uploaded a photo of me with an ice cream cone with two of my friends at the conference. And this parliamentarian came in and said to me, hey, Alicia, like, I saw what you uploaded on Facebook. It's not uncommon for – he was in the political party that I was in, so it wasn't uncommon for people to have each other on Facebook. Mm -hmm. But it was, I think, uncommon and inappropriate for a fucking 50-, 60-year-old man to come into my office who I don't work for and tell me that I should be careful of what I upload to Facebook because it could be considered sexualized. And he was trying to – he was basically trying to give me advice as I moved off through politics. That's fucking why. He thought you were hot and he was like, oh, my God, finally I've got some content. And he's like, but she shouldn't be doing this to me. He's she shouldn't be tempting well. me. A he's fucking still course he's still there. Yeah. <laughs> had an ice cream cone so the dripping cream was too much for him oh to handle oh my god i'm just like you how, are how do you whore. think that this is appropriate i'm 21 years old i don't work for you even if my mp was to bring it up with me i would still that's think it's inappropriate but you're nothing to do with me why are you also coming finding you <laughs> like coming to your office it isn't like i mean again this wouldn't be appropriate but it isn't like you're at like work drinks or something and he's mentioned it is like, yes. in like a joking yes. way it's like he's like this is an issue that must be addressed oh immediately 
So no bananas, no ice cream. Uh, what else oh. can we not eat? Uh, we can't have any zooper dupers, that's for sure. Oh, definitely If you work not. in politics, just a reminder. Just a <laughs> no reminder. No zooper dupers. No And I'm I'm sure the men uh, get the same get the same treatment for sure if they're seen eating an ice cream cone or a choc top. Yeah. Um, so on top of that, there's just like you know you've got your general bullying, and it's not uncommon in politics for people to just and I guess this probably happens outside, but I think it's pretty rife in politics for people to just be sort of bullied out or pushed out of roles let's say the political makeup of an office has changed it often happens in party offices state by state okay let's say you had a really good relationship with a previous boss and then a new boss comes in they'll just slowly but surely push everyone else out oh. um, and and this how this do they do that also like, what are examples of the bullying isolation alienation basically bullying until it is your decision it's no longer them yeah it's it's not them coming to you and sitting you down and saying to be honest I think that would be probably better a better experience to be like yeah up front and be like look we are you know we'd like to offer you a redundancy or whatever Mm. but it's this really icky pushing out of people in offices and you know that's not helped by the fact that at least in federal parliament there's no HR department (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's the thing that I didn't realise and that came to light with the Brittany Higgins yes. situation. That was something that I did not realise because you don't really think about it because you would assume there is some sort of ombudsman or like like something that's even more serious than a normal workplace. But there's nothing yeah. at all. There's no there's one you can nothing. afford to except for the person bullying you. Is that the well, deal? Well, there is what's called the Department of Finance and this is what the review I hope we'll land on some really interesting solutions. It's also a challenge with HR itself because within political offices, obviously you have party affiliation and a lot of the decisions and the things that are happening in political offices can impact wider to the party. There's always an election. There's Mm. always a Mm pre-selection. And so a lot of people will not report because they are loyal to the party And that can be quite honourable, really, when you think about it. It's like if I'm sitting in a political office, something's bad has happened to me, but I know that there's an election in two weeks and I am really passionate about the Labor Party and its capacity to make change, I'm probably going to feel inclined to stay silent so it doesn't have any ramifications on the Labor Party as a whole. Oh, God. Yeah, so there's a number of things that I hope come out of the review and they include HR and that's going to be a tricky, it's going to be tricky to navigate those dynamics. Mm. I've heard some proposals around not only having like a sort of independent HR department at Parliament, but also having like an ALP HR in the leader's office. So let's say in Anthony Albanese's office or in Scott Morrison's office, Mm -hmm. they would have a party HR person. Mm -hmm. So you could go to them as a starting point Mm -hmm. and then you could go to independent HR if you didn't feel like your issue was satisfactorily resolved. Yeah. Um, There also needs to be a general shift around drinking at Parliament House. Okay. It's pretty like, (laughs) you know, we we hear it time and time again about like Parliament House being this like wild drink fest. Mm. And I've never heard that. that, I've never heard that in my life. Yeah. Oh my God, is it a big send it? It's like being at Splendor. 
Yeah, I think mm. that basically what happens during a sitting week is a lot of stakeholders, so a lot of organisations, and that can range from like Coca-Cola to like there's a Taste of Tasmania event that runs every year and it's very mm. popular because it's like really nice cheeses and delicious wine. Vibes. Um, all the staffers basically from like six o'clock and parliamentarians go to these events and then maybe you might end up in a bar close to Parliament House and it's sort of just like there is somewhat of a drinking culture and I think mm. it's the thing that we need to solve in wider society as well. Like we should be able to party, we should be able to have fun and we should be able to not get raped. Yeah, those three things do seem important to be able to happen. Yeah, and I think maybe the issue is as well, I guess in a normal corporate environment, like I'm just relating it to my experiences, you will go out with your work colleagues and have drinks. That's so normal. But I think the thing is with being in parliament, there is such vast power dynamics, um, I assume, in the office, but also in general in society. Like if, for example, you're drinking with the Prime Minister, your prom's yeah, gonna you're be like, oh like, my god, I'm gonna get lit. Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> uh, like that's probably it's harder to make those clear, defined lines of what the fuck is going on um, yeah. for the for the victim. Obviously, not for the person in charge. So, speaking of that, sexual harassment and sexual assault is also a huge thing in Parliament, right? Yes. Well, yeah. Oh, look, like, I guess the best way that I can describe it is. In that informal setting that I described before of female staffers that talk to each other and act as each other's support network, I get the impression personally that sexual harassment and sexual assault is too uncommon Mm -hmm. for that workplace. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that a lot of the factors that we spoke about previously contribute to that. And, you know, I've had girlfriends come to me and disclose their own experiences. I've had some unfortunate experiences through my time mostly related to just excessive drinking what would you say are unfortunate experiences i don't know if it's your stuff but a general basically one thing that happened to me that sort of sat with me in these months while i've been watching all of the news come to light this bombardment of stories was when i was working on a federal election campaign there was drinking involved no consent training, obviously, Mm. and I felt that I did not have the capacity to consent and I feel that someone took advantage of that and that was in a work setting. And I rang 1-800-RESPECT in the morning. I confided Mm. in my friends and those mechanisms, like, I mean, I had a horrific experience with 1-800-RESPECT. They told me that we all do things that we regret. Are Awful. You if you don't laugh, serious? you cry. Yeah, if you don't laugh, you cry. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, that's fucked up. But, you know, that was what I was foreshadowing when I said that, like, that's the power of Brittany and that's the power of her story because she has actually enabled some practical mm-hmm. things to be implemented in Parliament House to ensure that staff members who feel, and, you know, that's a tricky area. It was a grey area. It's still in my mind. I wrestle with it every day Mm. and I informally got a lot of assistance from people around me 
But I think that sometimes you just want someone to talk to and you want the option of, you want someone to ask you the question if you want to take this further or not. Yeah, not just say that, well, we all regret some things sometimes. Anyway, yeah. bye. Yeah. How's your hangover? Go have a hard drive. Like, hang out. Like, that's, that's, that's what and I, I just, I woke up the next morning and I was on what was called the travelling party of the election campaign. And I went out and I probably visited a school or I probably visited a hospital mm. and I just got on with the show. Mm. And I think what Brittany has, Brittany's enabled that conversation. Brittany's made it possible that someone will be asked the question, do you need some time off? Do you yeah. need counselling? We're going to refer you to this counselling service. Would you like to actually take this further? Do you want to speak to the police? That's yeah. what Brittany has achieved and that's what's so powerful. Yeah. I find it interesting that, I mean, obviously we can refer to our experiences with sexual assault and harassment however we want, but you calling it an unfortunate incident when yeah. I wonder if we'd call it the same if it wasn't in a work environment. I think that, I know this might be a stretch, but I know when I used to work again in corporate, a lot of the women at these workplaces were either kissed without their consent, grabbed, uh, you know, groped, danced with. I had one, one would call an unfortunate incident with someone exposing themselves at a drinks afterwards. And I think when it's with work, you're so, you work with these people so closely and you are drinking with them all the time that you kind of, unfortunately, I don't know if you do this, but for me, maybe it was a subconscious thing where I would kind of be like, oh, you know, I, I know them so well. And if I hate them, I'm like, oh, like maybe they were just confused about the boundaries. Yes. You yeah. give them the benefit of the doubt and you go, oh, it's, a, it's an unfortunate thing. I also, it's too hard to deal with in a normal corporate environment, let alone in politics, where it's like, well, me going to do this, I have to either do this fully or I have to say yes. nothing. But those yeah. are the options. And I was, I was literally on an election campaign. Like, we yeah. were what going to the polls in two weeks. Like, What are you going to fucking do? Out, out the person that you want to get. I know, I, know, well, I know who it was, but out someone who's involved in getting, like you said, a political party into office that you want to be in. Yes. And kind of sabotaging the campaign. And unfortunately, you have to, like you were saying at the start of this conversation, you're like, how... Like being a human and then being in politics. Like you personally obviously would want to talk about this and out the person and call the police, but mm. as a politician, what's more important to you? And that's fucking difficult when it has such heavy outcomes either way. And it's always women making these concessions. It's mm -hmm. always women giving mm -hmm. the space of being like, I don't want to ruin this man's life. Oh, I the men aren't thinking, I don't want to ruin this campaign by sexually yeah. assaulting this person. They're just doing yeah. it and then you have to be the person's emotional labour saying, well, what, like, what are my options here? Rather than the man just not sexually assaulting you. Yeah. And there'd be no consent training and no information around what the fuck to do in the situations. And no boundaries either. Like you said, the drinking culture sounds really toxic and I don't, know what, I don't know what the answer is there. Like, I think it's like that's one of those more like amorphous cultural things that is really hard to tackle. Yeah. And only, I think it's only addressed through consistent pressure until, you know, it's not the done thing. I think we can even see that from like the 90s to now with various topics through sort of consistent pressure, people calling stuff out, you know, some things are not the done thing now. Mm. And I think this is a watershed moment. And mm. I think that there is some positive change 
being made. Like I was speaking to a girlfriend who has formerly worked in the Liberal Party and she said, you know what? One thing that I'm feeling really good about is I feel like if I raise something in this sort of general vicinity with people in the Liberal Party, they need to listen to me now. Yeah. It's not like a... It's not like a shut up. It's a, oh, fuck, this could get... Also, this could get bigger. Unfortunately, that's what it's taken is the threat of it actually getting bigger. Oh, my God, I want to keep talking to you for longer, but we'll get you on again. I want to get you on again when we're having the election because I want to make sure people vote for the right person. Sounds not good. that I have any biases. <laughs> not that I'm biased. Yeah, definitely None not. None at all. No, I'm but I want to make sure pe- neutral. <laughs> people are thinking about who they're voting for because yes. I think too many people vote for people because their parents do it or because they think oh they should God. vote for X, Y, Z. And I think if we voted with information, then it'd be different. And also understanding how politics works. But thank you so much for coming on. This has oh. been so interesting. Thank um, you. Listen to Alicia's podcast in the House and in the Senate. I will have a link in the show notes. I'm going to listen to it on the drive home now. So I get to talk to you. Thank you so much, Abs. It was such a great chat. Oh, you're amazing. Thank you so much.